Welcome to episode 179 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Gulfstream Park's very own Brian Natto. Me and Brian go over three races from this past Saturday, Pegasus Card. Those races are 7, 9, and 13. And some angles that we talk about are how to handicap those pesky handicap races that we never see in the racing form. And also, with a long shot winning the Pegasus for what seems to be the first time ever, how does that change your approach to handicapping that race? This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old Welcome in, my special guest for this week's Redboard Rewind. I'm sure with the races this past weekend, you probably have already guessed. It's Gulfstream analyst Brian Natto. Brian, how are you? Hey, Spence. I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. And uh, yeah, kind of decompressing a little bit after a crazy week at Gulfstream Park, but we wouldn't have it any other way. It was a beautiful day on on Pegasus Day, which has not always been the case. And uh, boy, everybody came out and boy, they bet with both hands too. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. 13 races always yep. kind of those are the hardest cards for me because obviously we get them a lot in Saratoga with these big types of races, but I always tend to struggle. Maybe I'm just not awake for the earlier races because a lot of times we do start a little bit earlier. You know, it's an 11 o'clock post sometimes, and I always tend to just, you know, miss very badly in the first few races. And that kind of hurts my confidence going later to the part of the car. But I actually had a pretty good Pegasus as we're going to talk about some races later on in the, in the day. How would your early day start, uh, go for Pegasus? Uh, it was <laughs> it was a rough day, early, middle, and late, admittedly. So, um, you know, it's a good. It just as a whole, though, Spence, it's a good. Uh, it's a good discussion in terms of bankroll and, and how you want to play the races. You know, you mentioned you you've struggled early, or, or maybe you're not uh, you're not firing on all cylinders, and that that is the beauty of a thirteen race card and two pick fives and three pick fours, you know, man, you, you can just uh, ease into the, the fray if you want. So um, it's got a little bit for everything. And that's kind of always a, a good gambling, any kind of gambling, but uh, racing, especially, you know, just if, if, if you're not having it early, there's no one's forcing you to bet. And there's, there's bigger things and bigger pools later on, you know, one of the best days I can remember having at Saratoga, I, me and a couple of buddies didn't like anything early. The first six races, and they're like, should we still go to the races? I'm like, no, because we're going to end up betting races we don't want to play. So sure. let, let's go play our, let's go play our early round of golf. We'll go for the later races. And I went four for five in the late pick five, but the last win was the horse I'm never going to have anyway. But I still hit a pick three, a double. I, I made up my money back for that pick five. And I just remember, like, being on the golf course, and we just, you know, it was everyone's obviously at the racetrack, so we're just sitting out there in the fairway watching a race go by. And, you know, we put minimal money, nothing nothing like if we were at the track. And it just felt so good to then get to the track that day with a full bankroll ready to go on the races we knew we had. Maybe, you know, above average, a 65% chance where the other races maybe we were only a 35% chance of, you know, comfortability or just, you know, confidence level is a better way of putting it. And these 13 race cards kind of equal that. If 
you don't if you want to go for the full day, absolutely go for it, enjoy it. But in all honesty, you could split this day into two days, you know, or two two different types of ways. Races one through six, races seven through thirteen. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. It's really the other thing is too, I mean, you know, we, we do this a lot closer to for a living than, than the recreational player. And there's different kinds of days at the track, you know, the, the Saturday Gulf stream in the winter or Saturday, Saratoga in the summer player, they have every right to play every race and, and have at it. That's okay. Cause they might not come back for six weeks or, you know, they might go opening weekend at Saratoga and not come back till the end of the week, end of the meet. So, you know, by all means have at it and play every race if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're doing this on a day in day out basis, or you're at least looking on a day in day out basis, uh, that, that's not going to get you anywhere playing every race. So you have to be diligent and you got to be honest with yourself and, and, and pick your spots and say, you know what? I don't really like this race and I'm just going to sit out because you know what? They're going to run another one in 28 minutes. And and that's the hardest part. Everyone goes, oh, I don't want to wait it 28 is. minutes. We have cell phones now, people. Or guess what? You have a form in front of you that if you buy the form for the day, you can look at another race from another racetrack. Like, there's got to be somewhere where, like, you know, and listen, every, all of us are degenerates. We, we at some point, we just want to bet because we feel like betting, and, and that's fair, too. But if your regular play is $20 and you just want to get in the pool, bet 10 Because... For all the times that you miss, because you're going to miss more often than not than normal because you're playing a race you don't have a high confidence level on, that one or two times you hit, great. It'll help you for later on in the day. But just knowing the bankroll is so key to this game. And that's why, for me, and I, I've said it plenty of times on the show before, the way I, I learned bankroll management was picking up bad tickets on the floor of an OTB helping my dad bartend after everyone left <laughs> for the night. So uh, seeing a couple $500 win bets uh, get thrown out was very eye-opening to me at a very young age. Yeah, it's just a tough lesson that, that you've got to learn. And, uh, you know, we all struggle with it. Every Everybody uh, struggles with it. You know, I always think of my, my times playing poker. and You know, it's tough to sit on your hands when you're not getting any good cards. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're consistently playing bad hands, it's not going to work out. You just have to learn it. You got to figure out everybody's different. You got to figure it out for yourself how to go about passing a race is it you know go to the bar and have a drink is if you're at the track you just take a walk uh you mentioned other tracks and things like that it's just everybody's got their own different way but yeah you really need to to, it's it's imperative you learn that lesson for me pegasus has always been such an interesting day and obviously we, we can talk about way back when it first started the big day big big race on the dirt Lots of money. You had to get into the into the stall somehow. I, I barely remember how, how it even started. Now, this day and age, two races, one big turf race, one big dirt race. How has this changed your approach to the day, and how have you seen it, you know, even from trainers and just how they kind of want to go into, you know, this big weekend, which is pretty much like uh, a la Travers or Churchill Downs for the Derby, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, now that we, we've even got the Philly Amera turf race too, so it's really now – kind of a three-pronged attack. And uh, I, I think of Brad Cox, you know, he, he brought this year, he brought Cyberknife last year and the year before he brought Nick's Go. And both last year and this year, both horses, Cyberknife and Nick's Go were making their final career starts and they were out of the Breeders' Cup as well. And it's, I, I feel it's almost created a little niche in and of itself because if you want to retire, you, you can still run in this race. And it, it kind of pr- creates a another... Um, you know, it's another club in the bag that the trainer's got to have and that you want to run the race of your life in the Breeders' Cup. But, oh, by the way, they're running for three million or a million 
on Pegasus Day, and it, it can get a little tricky. So, you know, it has a lot of different um, a lot of different ways you can go in the, in this race, and it's it really has carved out its own little spot on the calendar. You know, the last Saturday in January is going to be an event at Gulfstream Park. The, you know, it's a red carpet kind of event, and uh, that that's how they've always wanted it. And I, and I think it's really it, it's really firmed itself up as that you know you've got the fountain of youth and you've got the florida derby and that's for everybody if they want to just swing in and swing out but the pegasus is a little more than that and i think it's it's pretty cool i think too and not even thinking about that with the retirement and stuff like that it used to be okay we're gonna retire after breeder's cup now it's we're gonna retire after pegasus so for me it's almost like you know a baseball player at the end of the end of the season oh world series last game oh but i can play the double header on opening day and then retire and at least be you know in front of the home fans and such. And that, that is how it feels. It's hard for me actually with you saying that knowing they're going to retire, obviously they have to be giving their best shot. They're not going to come in with, you know, 80% effort. So when you look back at the breeders cup and you're like, Hmm, are they going to retire? A lot of times it's hard for beginning players because they always hear that. And they, I think they overestimate and they go, well, they must be retiring. Well, they're going to retire. And then they, you know, maybe don't realize, oh, Pegasus is only a couple months after that. And they may have one more race in their bag, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, you know, you can still stay in light training and and work yourself up to it. And then obviously gear up in the past, you know, four or five work. So I I just think it's a, it's a really perfect spot because you can still have a little come down time off the breeders cup, but you can still get a little work in and then gear up for that. If it's the one last start and, you know, we've seen it work out quite a bit in the past where the breeders cup, I think the spacing is almost ideal because we've seen breeders cup horses time and time again, run so well in the Pegasus and it really, you know, the breeders cup hasn't knocked them out or they have, or if it did, they've had enough time to get back on the beam and, and fire another huge shot in the Pegasus. Well, let's try and help some people out with some races from this <clears throat> past Saturday at the Pegasus. We're going to start with race number seven from Gulfstream Park. It is a hundred thousand dollar handicap, one mile and 70 yards. We're going on the synthetic this time for me, Brian, these races are the hardest I've ever tried to handicap. There's not really a class level where it's like, oh, let's see how many handicap races have been in the past couple of weeks. There's like seven, the whole meet. So for me, I kind of just, I've come to it as being like the, uh, the quasi starter allowance slash listed stake. That's the best way I can describe it. I try and find horses that have ran these type of races before and done well as I would do in a starter allowance. Yeah, there's no doubt about, it. I mean, you need about it. You, you've got to find horses that like um, like the track as well. I, I just kind of feel that this little, this little kind of race, as you mentioned, it's not a, a graded stakes race. I, I, I feel like proven form of late is what's going to play in a race like this. And, and then you, if you can add to that, the ability over the track, and that's certainly going to help out um, as well. And, and I, I feel like the home team has a little bit of an advantage, you know, the Turfway horses, they're running on polytrack. Well, we, we have the Tapita down here. So, you know, it, it, it's just a lot of different things, Spence, that you, you've got to add up, and they're tricky races. Um, and I'll be quite honest with you, I, I struggle with them as well. I don't have a great feel for them. Um, I Sometimes I zig when I should zag and then vice versa. So, yeah, I think a lot of us, I, I, me especially, I'm still a work in progress, and, and I, I really pick my spots in these type ones. Well, I think in this race, too, and, w- and what made me really pick this type of race out as well, there wasn't really a favorite in this race. You know, Skyro 3-1, to one, uh, 
Wolfie's Dyna Ghost, you know, five to one. These are two that I, I had looked into. Wolfie's Dyna Ghost for me ended up being my top pick. One for one over the Gulfstream synthetic. Two for three at the distance. And I just feel like, yes, coming off the layoff for Jonathan Thomas. And Jonathan Thomas, it says he's 15%, but that synthetic number, 26%, and routes, 20%. I've always looked at Jonathan Thomas as the type of trainer that just knows how to get it done, you know, on the turf, on the synthetic type way. Coming off this layoff, it's a trainer bump for me from the Abertrani barn. Florent Giroux likes to get it done with these types who show speed in every single type of race. So that was going to be my number one pick. Skyro took so much money here for Brian Lynch, who was actually my top pick going into the race where I saw the odd switch. Uh, one for one over the Gulfstream surface as well. One for two at the distance. Had these two wins out of the last four, both the optional 62 and optional 75, but was I felt like it's going in the right direction, 74, 86, 92. Now gets back onto this. Had some okay works, 48s over at uh, the training track there. And for me, for this one to take so much money from 8 to 1 all the way down, but didn't have that class type of, you know, win of late, I kind of sc- uh, moved away. Wolfie Stanley goes, I'm not being my top pick. Yeah, I liked uh, Ramsey's solution a lot. So he scratched out, and that was kind of unfortunate for me. That, that might have been a precursor of how my day was going to go. I scratched into Gray's Creek, you know, again, who I had in second. I had no real conviction. Certainly Wolfie's Dynagos was a major player with the win last last year in this race. I, I still felt there was there was enough speed that it was going to be a problem for some of those horses. Yep. And the, the, the way these route races – on the tapita have been being have been run uh they're just not the speed has been coming back and it doesn't matter how fast or slow they go it was another reason why i i went that way with ramsey solution and then grace creek a, as well um i just was looking a little bit off the pace i'm not saying i, I was looking for someone to loop the entire field but I, I i was pretty convinced that you know this race might come back a little bit grace creek for Brian, maybe not a top pick, but this is more of a race where you're going to sit back and take your notes and just learn as much as you can from the race. For me, I went with Wolfie's Dynaghost on top. Let's see who gets it done. They're off in the Carousel Club Handicap. Three of them ridden hard for the early lead. Wolfie's Dynaghost into the sunrise and steady on. And of the three, the leader is into the sunrise. Two lengths in front. Wolfie's Dynaghost second, steady on now third, up on the outside like the king fourth. One of the favorites, Sky Rose, situated well in the red colors, fifth at the inside. Followed six by Summer Assault. Then at the rail goes Carpenter's Call. Out deep on the course is Smoke and Tea. Followed inside by California Frolic. He drops better than eight lengths behind. He's two in front of Business Model. Then Gray's Creek. And the early trailer is Tango, Tango, Tango. Opening quarter quick. 23 and two. Less than five eights from home. Into the sunrise. Leads by a length and a half. Wolfie's Dynago second. Steady on his third. Skyro is at the rail in fourth, followed at the fence by Carpenter's Call. Summer Assault works out between horses up on the far outside like the king. Back from there, it's Smoke and Tea. He races ahead of California Frolic, then Business Model. Gray's Creek is launching a bit while seven or eight lengths behind. And the trailer, Tango, Tango, Tango. 46 and four for a deliberate half mile speed. Less than three furlongs to go into the sunrise, but only narrowly. Wolfie's Dynago second, steady on third. Locked in the box, Skyro looks for a way out fourth. 
Two back to Lake the King, who's now fifth, trying to rally from the back. California Frolic dropping back Summer Assault, and they're at the top of the stretch. Wolfies, Dynaghost has the lead with work to do. Splitting horses in Sky Road, down the center, steady on. Late run from California Frolic, an eighth of a mile remains. Wolfies, Dynaghost, and Florent Giroux, they're responding here. They lead by two, and they can't get him. It's another carousel club for Wolfies, Dynaghost. And Wolfie's Dino Ghost does get it done. 94, the winning buyer. 1320, the winning mutual. For me in this race, I, I think it came down to, and if you see, look, just looking through the chart, I'm not saying cheap speed was out in front of him, but you always tend to see this, you know, 20, 30 to one shot, take the lead, and this middling five to nine to one shot, just tracking in second. And then the cheap speed goes, and it's just, you know, for me, this this race for Wolfie's Dino Ghost, it's a 94 buyer. For me, it's probably more like a 91 or a 90. I'm going to take a couple points off for just inheriting that lead and just, you know, watching this one go. Skyro runs a really solid second, runs right back to that 92 buyer from last time out. And uh, not too shabby a start for me in these three races. Yeah, I mean, Wolfie's Dino Ghost, it's just one race, but, uh, you know, he had shown it last year that he could go quick on this stuff and just keep on going. Didn't have to run quite as quick this year, but but still, I mean, he earned it. There's no doubt about it. And if, if you liked him and you got 1320, you're, you're probably kind of kind of sticking your nose up at everybody else because that was a really square price uh, on a horse that, you know, you made some good points. He goes over to JT, so you get a little uptick in the trainer. He certainly likes this this, this course. Uh, and he, he, you know, he had the, the tactical speed to stay out of a lot of trouble in a deep field that could certainly, uh, develop. So yeah, he was, he was really, really impressive. And it was kind of, you know, shame on me, so to speak for not, not giving him a look. I, I just felt there was just a little too much speed, but like last year, it really didn't matter for Wolfie's Dino Ghost. And I think for me, and this will kind of be the, the major point that I'll drive home when I'm handicapping, I start bottom to top. That way, I kind of see a whole full story of what the horse has done. I know that the form goes back, I think, 12 or 13 races. I only go back to the last 10, customized over in DRF Formulator. That uh, handicap just sticks right out there. 94, it's pretty much, you know, one of the best numbers he's run over the last 10 races. And for other people who, you know, oh, that race is so far ago, the form doesn't matter back then, different horse now. I feel like when I played sports and I came on the same basketball court that I'd shot really well on one day, but it was three months later, I still somehow shot well that day as well. And that's why we, you know, we call it horse for course, but I feel like it matters more in these types of wide open races where you're looking for every little divot, to try to make a case for a horse. I think that's what kind of, you know, got this horse, you know, up and on the lead today. Yeah, I mean, with with his case too, he, he never lost his form. So I, I think the fact that he had a big win over the track only enhanced his credentials. Um, I, I get into the, well, that was a long time ago when horses are off form. And then I will be a little stubborn about that. I don't care if you won, you know, the, I don't care if you won the Travers as a three-year-old, if you come back at, at five and you're off form, it doesn't mean you're going to win the win. You know what I mean? Um, but this horse had definitely kept his form. So he, he was, he was very, very playable. There's no doubt about that. And like I said, if you cashed on him, you got a really square price on a horse that, that now, especially we know he really likes it here. Let's go on to our next race. This is a race. I think I've covered every single year on Redboard rewind race number nine from Gulfstream park. It is the William L McKnight mile and a half on the turf. One of my favorite races every single year. We have got some who's who here from the turf class between channel maker, who I was absolutely opposing in this race at three to one over five on the Gulfstream 
or turf and pretty much the exact op- opposite line of how I looked at Wolfie's Dine. He goes with a win. If you're going to be a favorite, you got to show me something over five starts, even a third. I mean, this guy is just nothing. So for me, Channel Maker was out. Uh, value Engineering and Red Knight. Red Knight to me is the type of one. You scratch out that last race, less than 34 to one against those types, probably in over the head. 91, 97, 97, all at a mile and a half, the second through four races that this one had ran. I thought, you know, coming off the layoff from Mike Maker, listen, Maker numbers don't look amazing, 15 for $1.78 return on investment, but he's one of my favorite guys to come from off of a layoff. 7 for 12 on the exact. I wanted to use Red Knight, and Value Engineering was the other one, coming off a nice one in the uh, in the Allen Jerkins 100,000 over there from Mike Maker as well. I think that one coming off the turf, maybe people didn't think so much about that one, but coming out of the Chad Brown barn, this one had only won once prior in an optional 80. I thought Value Engineering was kind of interesting here to hit the board underneath. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all obviously in the eye of the beholder. I like Channel Maker. It was hardly with any conviction, but, you know, you can – now, every you know, okay, he's over five at Gulfstream. Well, one of those was a fourth in the in – the, uh, twice was he, he was in the McNamara. He ran fourth. He was fifth in the Pegasus World Cup mm-hmm. turf behind Colonel Liam, you know, it's it, or Alpha uh, – Zulu Alpha, excuse yeah. me. One of them was in his, like, fourth career start, at, you know, as a three-year-old. So – it's just all in the eye of the beholder, and and, and you know if, if if he wins, everybody's going to say what I just said. If he loses, everybody's going to say he's over five over the <laughs> Gulf Stream Park turf course. So I, I don't really that didn't really bother me with him. I just thought he would trip out really really nicely because you know Abon is going to go, and on paper there's no other speed in the race, and Abon's going to go, and Channel Maker is going to sit second or third, and and right out off uh, out off of his side. And, uh, you know, the, the turf course continually plays to speed. So I thought he was in a really, really good shot. I thought a lot of horses like Red Knight, like, you know, uh, Temple, like horses like that without a lot of early speed. I thought they were up against it. But then, then when they spring the latches, different things happen. And that's why they run the races. Were you surprised the way that, that the board ended up? I mean, Red Knight at 3-1 to one was kind of shocking for the channel maker at 4-1. to one, And then you have you know, a bonnet, you know, sub three to one. I was like, what, what, what do people know that I just don't seem to know here? Because for me, when I look through this race, you know, okay, cool. Louis Sia has got it. Todd Pletcher. I mean, if that's how we're dropping horses from five to one to, you know, five to two, I need to be playing Gulfstream a little bit more often. If now we're on like the, uh, the Irad Ortiz Belmont thing where every single thing he just jumped on was like sub two to one, it seemed for like two or three weeks there last year at Belmont. I just couldn't understand this board. And then seeing Red Knight get hit down so much, still ended up being my top pick. Value Engineering went off at, you know, a little over 10 to 1. I just thought that with those two horses, you're getting, you know, you're getting a horse that's showing a little bit of value, but it's still one of the short-priced horses. And then I'm kind of go, kind of sneaking there with a bomb underneath. And that's kind of how I've always tried to play my exotics there in the exacta. Yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, Bond is just a long distance specialist. He's run so well over this course before. It's easy to forgive his comeback, um, which was just a means to an end. And he was a loose and controlling speed in this race. So, you know, I, I understand it. Uh, I understand it all. Um, it, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm, I would have bet him to win at five to two. And I, I wouldn't have bet, uh, you know, Channel Maker at four to one. And yeah, that's not a terrible price, in my opinion, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, what I don't, I printed so early here. I'm not sure what the morning line on Red Knight was. But Red Knight was. It was 92. He comes out of the Breeders' Cup. 
Yeah, so he was coming out of the Breeders' Cup turf, and you know he figured a horse would be bet. You've got Maker, you've got Irad, so I, I think the odds were they, to me they they kind of made sense. It didn't mean you had to bet some of those horses. Like I said, five to two on a bond was light, but I didn't really see anything else out out of the realm. I mean, Red Knight at three was a little light, but it, it kind of is what it is, you know. Let us see who gets it done here in the L McKnight. Do I get lucky here with Red Knight, or do we get a little bit of channel maker for Brian right now? They're off in the 55th running of the W.L. McKnight. It was a lively beginning for Abon. He's being ridden for speed, and up on his outside, Harlan Estate has speed from second. Palo Alto comes away in good shape. He's now third. Up to fourth goes Channel Maker racing outside of Temple, then back to the inside. That was time for trouble, who just slammed on the brakes. That did shoddy, 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 no favors. Up and around them went wicked fast. The early trailer is Red Knight. Around the far turn for the first time, and Abon has the lead now by a length and a half. Here's Agitair, keyed up and sweeping around horses. Up into second, he's very hard to handle. From third, it's Harlan Estate. Palo Alto stays parked at the rail, and the veteran Channel Maker's out in the center. Length and a half to Temple. He's ahead in front of Value Engineering, who's in the pink and the two-path. Followed inside by Shoddy, Shoddy, Shoddy. Then comes Wicked Fast. It's a gap of two and a half to Time for Trouble, and the trailer is Red Knight. Agitair wouldn't settle, and he's on now to take on a bond through the opening half mile in a swift 48-1. Agitair for a narrow lead. A bond is second with the benefit of the inside position from the team of Channel Maker and Palo Alto. They're third and fourth. It's a gap of two and a half to Harlan Estate, who races by himself in fifth for Rosario, racing ahead of Temple and Value Engineering. Then it's Wicked Fast and Shoddy, Shoddy, Shoddy. Still at the back are Red Knight and Time for Trouble. Three quarters in one twelve and three. They have less than six furlongs to go in the McKnight, and the leader is a bond, but only narrowly. Up on the outside, Agitair continues to keep the heat on. Second, Channel Maker is in the clear third. At the rail, Palo Alto is fourth in front of Value Engineering, who's making stealthy headway. He's in the pink colors, up to fifth now, improving outside of Harlan Estate. Then it's wicked fast and time for trouble. Red Knight held up in traffic. Temple got shuffled back, and after early trouble, now the trailer is shoddy, shoddy, shoddy. Into the far turn through three quarters and 137 and one, they round the far turn. It's a bond in front. Channel Maker is second. Value Engineering continues this sustained run three wide for Jose Ortiz. Red Knight warming to the task well. He's in the clear with no excuse. Four wide while fourth from last. Shoddy, Shoddy, Shoddy is underway and they're at the top of the stretch. A bond working overtime and he's all finished. Up on the outside, Red Knight and Value Engineering sweep by. It's Value Engineering who gets first run. Red Knight runs at him on the outside. Red Knight on the outside, Value Engineering tough and tries to kick with him. Eighth of a mile to go. On the outside, it's Red Knight, confidently handled by Irad and moving away. Red Knight wins the big night from Value Engineering. And Red Knight does get the job done. 95, the winning buyer. 860, the winning mutual. Value Engineering does end up clunking up for second. 980 for a place price. 10 to 1 was that the exact to pay 33.20 for a dollar. I only had it for a buck, but it's always nice when you can kind of you know, pick a long shot, pick a short shot, and get them uh, to connect there at the top of the uh, top of the race board. Yeah, no, no doubt it was good, good work on your part. The whole complexion of the race just just changed because um, I'm sure, as you noticed, for, I have no idea why, but the five agitaire um, d- decided just off a of European form, and you don't certainly don't expect horses like that to be involved early. Um, he just completely became uncontrollable, and and it just 
a race where a bond was supposed to be loose and controlling basically developed into a wild speed duel. And anybody, you look at the chart, anybody that was close early just absolutely got fried and all, it was all closers, basically stalker closers, value engineering, to be honest with you, ran a huge race because he was fifth early on. No one else that was really remotely close to him uh, stuck around late. And it was just a race. It's the type of race where, you know, if you look at charts and you look at flows of races, you're going to basically toss everybody that was uh, that that finished in the top four or five, and you're going to give a look to the to the uh, uh, bonds and, and and those kind of horses who who completely got fried. Now you could also make a case that maybe a bond and certainly channel maker are just over the top. That remains to be seen, but yeah, it was one of those races where it just it was not going to play out that way the way it did. I always have explained handicapping when teaching people is like you're you're trying to build a puzzle piece to unlock a piece of the puzzle. When races like this happen, I feel like a five-year-old is coming and kicks through the puzzle and I have to put it back together again because it leads to more questions than answers at the end of the race. Because like you had said, are they over the top? Is a race where it comes up where a bond and channel maker now are maybe the same price or even a little bit higher? Like I feel like if channel maker comes back at six to one, and like you had said, he's going to be put in a good position even if it's at Gulfstream with his 0 for 5, like you had said, but I know I have this race note coming into it. That makes my handicap a little bit different than just saying, oh, he's 0 for 5 because of XYZ PDQ. Yeah, I think to me, coming out of this race, I still wouldn't really probably want to play a Bond or Channel Maker, but I would be a lot more uh, excited about playing against the horses that were, you know, let's just say completed, that were in the super high five, because not only did they get a, just a hellacious, unexpected race flow pace develop, but they probably also took advantage of some horses that just uh, are searching for yesteryear. So that, that, you know, and as a handicapper, you always want to remember those kind of things going forward. Or if you use formulator, if you just take, have your own notes or, or, or stable mail kind of thing, you know, you put that, put that in there, or just, uh, especially since this is a graded stakes race, you just want to remember that down the line and say, Hey, you know, th- these are horses that were, definitely flattered in this particular instance maybe maybe that whatever buyer or the, their, their finish wasn't quite uh as good as it seems and you know you know how it is these horses are going to get bet next time so you got to kind of uh, act accordingly what's well, one of the race everyone was talking about race number 13 from golfing park we're going a mile and eighth it is the grade one pegasus world cup invitational the the who's who of those on the dirt here in america and for me I want my bogey horse. I feel like I bet this horse every time this horse runs, and he's only got one win on his card. So I'm not hitting very often. That was just a 5-2 to two favorite. And that's simplification. Paco Lopez aboard for Antonio Sano. I just thought I wanted to take a shot in this type of race because, as we know, this race has been very formful uh, since it's you know becoming a race in general. But I thought 15-1 coming off 103 buyer, this horse is in what could be considered the best form of his career. I don't want Cyberknife at bad odds. Again, this one, you know, just seems to want to run second at 5-2 to two and has the two wins there, the Haskell, the Matt win. But when it comes down to it, the Dirt Mile, the PA Derby Travers, probably a little bit tougher races there, although he did beat Taba at the Haskell. I just, I didn't want him. I wanted sort of a price horse this year, which I know goes completely against, like we said, the form of the race so far. What would you kind of like in this one? Yeah, I think everything you said is pretty spot on. I, I think we all know, and 
probably would agree with that the most likely winner was Cyberknife. He's the best horse in the race, but that just doesn't mean he has to win. And he's going to be, you knew he was going to be around two to one. He was going to be an underlaid price and, and he was just very unappealing uh, for all of those reasons. So, um, you know, I was looking elsewhere. I, I, I had no use for Skippy Longstocking uh, in the local prep. That was the Harlan's holiday. But after he won the race the way he did, and that's a short stretch finish line race, and he's just a long striding kind of galloper, um, I, I was just taken so aback, and the race came up fast, and mm-hmm. I, I just really, really liked him coming out of that race, and he, he was going to trip out. I, I, I was kind of reserved to the, resigned to the fact that, especially with the way my day had been going up to yeah, but you know there was other speed in the race, and I just felt like um, something something had to give. I know this is a fast main track that can carry speed horses, but I thought the funded, you know, legitimate California speed might bury some others. And Skippy Longstocking at a true nine furlongs. That's the other thing I really like. Would be right there entering the far turn and uh, was ready to pounce. So I, I was I was really on him. Um, there were some horses I, I was just really dead set against proxy. I just didn't see proxy winning this kind of race over this kind of racetrack. Um, you know, white Abario I thought was slow, even though he likes this racetrack, he was four for four coming in. And to me, it just narrowed down to Skippy Longstocking. And I, I, I liked him quite a bit in this race. Skippy Longstocking for Brian for me. I'm going with a long shot. My, my little bogey horse here in simplification. Let's see if he can finally get me off the schneid right now. Mike Smith was on the go with Stiletto Boy, and the long shot tries to clear the inside traffic. Mission accomplished there. Stiletto Boy to the rail and to the top. Defunded comes away in second with White Abario between horses. Art Collector is out of there fourth. Simplification is fifth early, followed by Skippy Longstocking. Then it's the favorite Cyberknife. He races outside of Last Samurai. Joel Rosario has proxy glued to the fence in front of Gret, her number. Second last is O'Connor, and the trailer is riding with Biden. The pace is lively. The quarter was 23-3, and three, less than six furlongs to go. Up front, Stiletto Boy has the lead by half a length over Defunded, who's latched on to him second. White Abario is down at the inside and racing between horses. Only two lengths off the lead is Art Collector. Last Samurai is with him. Then Proxy working into the clear is he. Simplification is next. On the far outside, it's Skippy Longstocking. He's about five lengths behind while five or six deep. Then it's the favorite, Cyberknife. Laurent Giroux spots the leader about six lengths on him. He's a length and a half better than Get Her Number. Then O'Connor and riding with Biden is last of all through a 47 and three half mile. Around the far turn they go. Irat Ortiz Jr. turning up the heat on Defunded who bids up to challenge Stiletto Boy for the lead. In between horses, Art Collector goes with him. Skippy Long Stocking is fourth with two and a half lengths to make up. Cyberknife better pick up his ball game. He's angling to the clear for a run. Get her number swings widest of all for an upset possibility as Art Collector has run to the front. Less than a quarter of a mile to come. It's Art Collector in front. Defunded counter punches from the inside second. Back to third. It's Stiletto Boy. Nothing much running home from the back. Last Samurai for a slice, but Art Collector is kicked clear. Art Collector in the colors of Bruce Lundford. They're going to win the Pegasus World Cup going away. And Art Collector gets the job done. $33 of winning mutual. And we're looking at a fire figure of 107 at 15 to 1. Hey, listen, I was on a long shot. I, I felt like this was the year that we're not going to see the, uh, the the 2 to 1, 3 to 1 win. I was on the wrong long shot. 
Yeah, we, we all were. Um, I'm not betting our collector with Sunday's newspaper. So I just, you know, what are you going to do? You can't, uh, it is what it is. Uh, I guess if you were, a, you know, it's, again, if you liked them, you thought 15 to one was a hell of a price. I, I probably would have, I wouldn't have bet them at 30 to one. So um, it, it is what it is. And, you know, uh, the race, it, it kind of went as expected and that the speed did hold, you know, Mike Smith's never saw a quick pace that he doesn't want to get involved with. And and so he put stiletto boy caught a little bit of a flyer and it was a good job by him for taking the initiative with a long shot. It really, honestly, I'll tell you what, if you like to fund it, I'm, you got to underlaid price at five to two, but boy, he had no excuse whatsoever. He had the trip of the day and uh, he, you know, our collector, I, pick the, the race of his life I, I guess the time the right time to run the race of his life because I, I just didn't see it and he was I mean he was stunning in victory yeah. and I you, you said a 107 right so yeah. that essentially means everybody else in the race basically ran a hundred or less and you know that's kind that's what happens when you win by four and a half lengths and I, I say only ran run a 107 nobody else really ran and and that's it's funny because going into this race and we see all the different types of horses in this race. If Cybernet doesn't run well, if certain other horses don't run well, it's going to be a long shot and it's going to be a weird wonky buyer. 107. I mean, it, it's the highest one he's ever ran, but he's got one or it's, he tied it with his Woodward win. I mean, he's got four of the races, you know, he's almost has as many races, you know, on my card of four out of the 10 showing. So almost half the races over triple digit buyer. 15 to 1. Junior always does this too. And and for me, me and my dad, we both love Junior. He always comes up, usually it's on the turf for us in these type of races, but he always just comes with one big run with one runner on a big day like today. It just happened to be this one here at 15 to 1. Defunded, like you had said, perfect trip. He ended up with a 100 buyer for IRAD. Mike Smith on Stiletto Boy runs a solid third. Not that I'm betting any money on Mike with Mike Smith runners anymore. I can't do that. It's not, not good for my health. Listen, simplification ran 16 to 1. Listen, wasn't his day. Just one horse that I just always think, you know, will run better than the odd show. Had an aggressive rider in Paco, just uh, didn't get it done. But for the first time since I think the inception, we have a we have a long shot win. So now maybe going into it from now on, I know it's always kind of come down to, you know, the Titanic tussle between either one big horse retiring at, you know, eight to five or two horses retiring a la a couple of years ago. But Maybe now the tides are changing and, you know, horses that are going to be those double-digit prices are going to be, you know, having a better shot than what their odds are showing on these types of big days here with the Pegasus. Yeah, you know, you don't want to poo-poo our collector too much. He's a damn nice horse. You mentioned he won the Woodward. He's a grade one winner, and and he's a really nice horse. Um, But he was also 15-1 to for a reason, and and that's because he he was 15-1 to Um, and, and should have been. Uh, for that matter. So, yeah, but you're right. Maybe we have a little chink in the armor now in, in that, uh, you know, these are, these are races. Now, this is a race now where it doesn't have to be the best horse. It doesn't have to be the favorite. I mean, it was a day of, um, as I, as I mentioned, I just literally stunk and, and for many, many different reasons, but it was just a day where, um, you know, Cyberknife didn't run at all after four furlongs. He was just completely empty. And it was just a day where you, you there were some things obligatory. There's, there's another one. Yeah. She didn't run an inch for whatever reason. And Bill Mott said, I, I don't I have no idea why she ran so poorly. So it was just a day where that's why the old adage, that's why they run the races really came to fruition on, on Saturday. And um, they, boy, they, they bet with both fists and the pools were huge. So uh, sometimes you just got to take your lumps, you know, and then, then again, that's why we're going to run on Wednesday. That is 
all the time we have for today's podcast. I do want to thank my special guest, Brian Nader, for coming on. Brian, what uh, you said we're racing Wednesday. Uh, excited for anything coming up this week or just overall? Well, race? man, there's, there's no rest for the weary because we've got five stakes on Saturday with uh-huh. the Holy Bull. And the, the path to the Florida Derby really, really starts in earnest on Saturday because the Holy Bull is a two-turn race and we stretch some of them out. And that's that, you know, hope always springs eternal and, and, uh, they're all, they're all stakes races for three-year-olds on Saturday. So there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, the rainbow six was paid out on Sunday. They, they bet 6.3 million, I believe into it. So that'll start back on Wednesday and, uh, charge it comes back. I, I, Friday, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's a, there's just a lot of cool stuff going on as we, we really start that path towards the Florida Derby on Saturday. Like you said, no rest for the weary. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on and uh, giving us some of your time. I appreciate it. You got it, buddy. Hey, everyone who listens to this podcast and the rest of the podcast on the, the Money Media Network. Also want to thank my special guest, Brian Natto, for coming on, talking all things Pegasus with me. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's present is Pierre Thomas Porantel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganville. We will see you next time.